another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? There's a lot happening in the NBA world. Maybe the most important story I think that everybody is talking about is the rebrand of this podcast. We have a brand new logo. We've just figured out our whole marketing campaign. More than 12 people are going to tune in now. Now that we got this, not now that we got this thing rolled out. So, talk to me about the creative process because you were kind of the the brains of this operation. What made you uh, think it was time? 18, 19 months into this, and uh, you know, how did you arrive on such a beautiful logo, updated from the Microsoft Paint version we've been rocking before that? <laughs> well, there there was no real process. It was one day we took a look at the logo, and I was like. <laughs> Didn't this I sucks. like whip this together in five seconds in um, like Microsoft Paint like a year and a half ago and thought we could do better. So, of course, what do we do? We brought in a bunch of consultants who put together a PowerPoint deck that we eventually shelved away and instead paid some guy online. <laughs> um, I'm not going to disclose how much because I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, to come up and with for, a new logo. And for tax purposes, it may need to be larger than it actually was. <laughs> exactly. So anyways, we, we went through uh, someone else to actually come up with a new logo. I think for us, we wanted to, to rebrand a little bit. We actually added hoops to the official name, just so I think from an SEO standpoint, Thick and Thin really didn't stand out. And we were getting confused with the other Thick and Thin about two girls living in New York. Um, so... <laughs> And the other thing is we moved from the N, the letter N, to the ampersand. I think that can't be understated here in terms of the importance. It's also much more helpful on the search criteria standpoint. And people forget, uh, thick is not spelled T-H-I-C-K, right? It's obviously modeled after your name. But when you already have problems spelling the first word and then you don't know that it's the letter N, I swear this is why the, the listenership hasn't grown the way we expected. <laughs> so I think this is going to kind of solve a lot of our problems. I hope people realize by now that the thick and thin are directly related to our names because it was very obvious to me, but I'm wondering if a lot of people have just gone through this whole time wondering why the hell did they pick those two words to describe well, the Well, the worst part podcast. is people who do know us um, and do know why we called it that are still assuming that it's body shape related. I don't appreciate <laughs> that necessarily. So for those who don't know, Karthik has svelte, you know, has kept his frame no matter how little exercise, how much he's eaten, but... I'm over here on the elliptical every morning gaining weight. <laughs> um, but no, so the big story of the day, obviously bearing the lead, is the trade deadline. So, you know, there's a, you know, from the movie The Town, right, with Ben Affleck, and there's a famous scene. You remember when John, John Hamm breaks down the door and he's like, guns, drugs? It's like towny Christmas. You remember yep. that? Yep. That's how I felt today. It's like Shams, Woj, this is NBA <laughs> Christmas. I love it. It's my single favorite day of the year, other than maybe... Uh, the draft lottery to see where the Wizards are picking, and then also uh, the first day of free agency. It's right up there. That's like the holy trinity for for any fan of a lackluster franchise such as ourselves. Um, but let me start here. There's a bunch of deals. There's things that did happen that, that weren't expected. There was things that were supposed to happen that ended up not, you know, players that didn't end up get moving. What was your favorite trade of the day? Um, and take it any which way you want. Well, before I get to my favorite trade, I, I want to say that Part of the fun and why NBA, the trade deadline is so much fun is, you know how there's this always this uh, narrative around Shams and Woj and who's going to break what? And and today everyone was talking about how Shams was just getting absolutely destroyed by Woj in terms of breaking news. 
Yeah. The same thing is true for, for your friends when you guys are trying to break trades to each other. Like we're yeah. all here refreshing Twitter every five <laughs> seconds and then, you know, trying to immediately post, oh, Vooch to the Bulls. And um, like we have our own competition, right? Yeah. Like I broke the Vooch story to you, but then you broke that Lonzo wasn't going to be traded to me because it was just like they happened within seconds and I looked away for like two minutes. Exactly. Like I'm here on and a you would- conference call being asked to say something and here I am just ref- F5-ing on my uh, my Twitter page. But uh, going to the actual trade deadline itself, um, I have to say, obviously, the biggest the, the trade deadline, I never care about all the fringe moves. It's always about the blockbuster headliner that gets my attention. So we have right. to start with Vucevic uh, because a lot of people didn't think he was going to get moved. It really did seem that he kind of finally found his groove he's always been a good player but took his game to another level and that this was a player orlando could build around despite the fact that he's 30 years old and the bulls were a team that we knew were trying to compete um Mm -hmm. they were definitely looking to make the playoffs this year but not a team that was heavy on people's radar as one that was going to take a big swing and really try to leap into the upper echelon of the eastern conference but today we saw both those narratives flip Orlando did part with Booch and the Bulls made that big swing to get a player like him and really now create a, a roster that is at the very least very exciting um, yep. and fills in a major gap that they had. And now we have to see what happens with with Laurie um, because that's a weird fit for them and uh, he's not in their long-term plans. I don't think they're going to pay him. But to me, that was a big deal. I think it's a win-win. Um, right off the bat, I do think Orlando had to re- blow it up. People can talk about the, the return they got, but at the end of the day, um, this was not a player who, like a big 30 years old, coming off his best season of all time, there wasn't that much demand from him from contending teams. And contending teams yeah. are the ones who are going to give up a lot of picks. So I thought it made sense for them to kind of blow it up, get the return they got. We can talk a little bit more about that. And I thought it was a good deal for the Bulls. So that was my favorite trade of the day. Yeah, so the, the Magic took a nuclear bomb to their roster today, right? Uh, Booch was gone. Aaron Gordon was gone. Uh, Evan Fournier was gone. I think uh, really the only guy left that could have been traded was probably Terrence Ross. And so with Booch, right, like there's no question the Magic sh- were smart to trade him. And I know a lot of people are pushing back on this being like, okay, what's the point of even being a f- – fucking team if every time you get a good player if you're not a title contender you have to move him and i agree with that right but this was different than not just being a title contender they were like fringe playing game eight seed level even when they had all their guys healthy this year without folds without uh jonathan isaac it was pretty much drawing dead from the jump um you know I actually like the return they got in that Wendell Carter's is decent, right? I think he's been underutilized, maybe maybe not a great fit in Chicago. It's definitely not on, on them. He also wasn't necessarily healthy, um, but I think he's got a chance to start over in, um, in Orlando with a couple guys in Fultz and Isaac who fit his timeline much better. Uh, right now, Chicago, like you mentioned, they haven't made the playoffs in five years, and this is a franchise that post-Jordan has had pretty much 20, 25 years of being very uneven. Like they had uh, a couple fringe contender moments with the Derrick Rose, Jimmy Butler teams. But other than that, it's been either first round and out, second round or out, 
or just completely missing the playoffs. So I don't think Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic is exactly like the Brooklyn Nets star power, right? But at the same time, if they can move from where they are, the problem is they're still in 10th or 11th right now, right? So they have to they have to jump several teams. Even though they're only three or four games out of the five seed, they do have to jump several teams, a, a number of which are starting to play better as well. So I like the trade for both teams. I, I actually was thinking with Chicago, they kind of didn't give up anything of worth in that you're replacing Carter directly with the better player. Otto Porter has been... Yeah. And I don't want to talk about Otto Porter. And then the two picks are protected for top four this year and then top four in 2023. So to me, it's like you, you, you've, you've capped your downside a little bit. The upside is that this could be a really fun offensive team. Um, I don't think they're going to stop anybody, but you pair uh, Patrick Williams is a guy who looks like even though he's a rookie, he's ready to play right now. And then, you know, you brought up Laurie. Did you expect them to move him once they they grabbed Vooch? Because I thought they were uh, that I pairing, they would, make and they ended sense. up yeah. not moving him. So that that one is a little bit. I don't know what they're going to do. They're definitely. I don't think he's in their long term plans, especially yeah. now after they they made this move. Um, you know, from Orlando's perspective, the uh, I've seen various kind of reactions to the the return they got, and people are like, Drew Holiday got so many picks, and, and you know, people, you know, you look at the recent trades that happened, and then wonder why yeah. Orlando could have do better. But a successful trade for me is you need three things when you're trading a superstar. You need picks. They got two first-round picks. And look, picks are never going to be in like the top 10 range. Like Any team trading for a superstar like that is contending. Those right. picks are not going to be valuable. Right. Um, they got two picks, though. They got a young player. That's another thing you'd like to get out of a trade. They got Wendell Carter, who he's been injured. He's shown flashes. It's something that yeah. you know, maybe you can build around. And then finally, you want to come out in a financially better situation. And they did. They yep. got rid of Aminu's contract. They're taking back Porter, but you know Porter is an expiring, expiring contract this yeah. year. So all in all, I think they're fine. And like you said, this is a team that needed to just hit the blow-up button. Um, at some point, they've just been treading mediocrity for very long. And this is what I've always wanted the Kings to do. And when we traded Cousins, we got back... Buddy Heald and a draft pick, which turned out to be De'Aaron Fox, but ultimately still not a lot. And so... Well, time out, though. Time out. That is kind of the best case scenario here, right? Like, Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox is pretty good return for a superstar who never really puts you over the top. That's a very similar situation in Vucevic in that big-time numbers, right? Like Vooch and Cousins back in 2017 or 18 when he was traded, putting up really monster numbers, but not moving the needle on wins. To turn that around and end up with Fox and Heald, it feels like about as well as you're gonna do. Um in that in yeah, that you, but you forget that we we won the lottery that year, um, or jumped from like eight to three, and then the pick swap caused us to right. drop to five. So it was really an eighth pick and Buddy Heald, who at the time was kind of a up and down rookie season with the Pelicans, right? So but yeah, like, yeah. You're, that's the best you can do. Like your point to your point, it's not you can't hope for that much more. I, I feel bad for Magic fans because this is kind of like their second or third now rebuild somehow in the last ten years. Like they've had multiple versions that have reached mediocrity and have have failed. Uh, so post Dwight Howard, it's kind of been a total mess. And Vucevic has been awesome, but he's just not good enough to really change the trajectory of this team, especially when they had a bunch of draft busts around him or guys that. You know, Aaron Gordon was a fourth overall pick. I think people forget that too, right? Like uh, Jonathan Isaac, everyone talks about his promise. He was still the sixth overall pick. It's not like he's been 
fringe all-star level. He's been a good defender, right? And so that that ultimately is the problem is that for the Magic fans, I think you know this is the right move. It's still a bummer, um, just like it would be for Kings fans, right? If they decide to tear down oh, this yeah. nucleus again and say, okay, we're going to restart. It's like, yeah, you know that's the right call, but how many fucking times are we going to go through this before we get it right? And how many times are we going to go through this with this same ownership group when clearly they don't know what it takes to build a winner? Uh, and that's the frustrating part. Yeah, um, I will say that whenever you want to do a full rebuild, you need to make sure the timelines of your players match up. Like if they wanted to rebuild around Vucevic, that would have been fine, but he's 30 and they've mm-hmm. got a lot of young guys in that roster, like Jonathan Isaac and Fultz. Those are the guys you want to build around. And so like, what is the expectation of all those guys hit their stride in three, four years? Vuce is not the same player he once was. So because the, the timelines of those guys didn't match up, you yeah. have to just fully blow it up. Right. And then build around the younger guys. What I'm curious about for Chicago's standpoint is Zach Levine is kind of playing his first season of a really high efficiency winning, a more so winning brand of basketball, right? He still loves on defense. He's still not, you know, the best playmaker. But this is the first time he's in a situation where he's expected to win in a way, and they went for it, right? They went and got this guy who's also an all-star this year. They, you know, obviously feel like they can compete and make a run for the East. We actually have not seen it, seen this from Zach Levine. So we don't know if he's capable of it, right? And I just don't mean this year. I mean moving forward because this is kind of a trade you make to to, to go for the future. It's similar to what the Mavericks did, uh, trading two first-rounders, a couple of young guys, Dennis Smith, et cetera, for Kristaps for Porzingis. But you have Luka who's going to establish such a high floor for your team even despite injuries. And even that, with Luka playing at an MVP level, Dallas hasn't taken a leap yet. So that's what I'm really curious about with Chicago is, you know, you want to make a move, but can you really credibly say you're better than the fifth best team in the East? And I know they can add to it, but fifth in itself would be high praise because right now they're in 11th. So that's the thing I'm most interested to watch uh, this year because a team like Toronto, which is struggling, could easily turn it on. You know, they ended up keeping Lowry. So... That's what I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about, um, how that's going to manifest over the next uh, couple months this season, but also moving into the next couple of years. Those are valid questions. Like, I think, how much can Levine be the, the best player or, you know, close to second best player on a contending team? The jury's still out. But look, we had the same questions around Devin Booker. And Chris Paul, yes, is the catalyst for that team. But Devin Booker is at the guard position, playing well, and having that, you know, that team is successful as a result of it. So it's not that I don't think Zach Levine can't do it, but I think you have a good point that he's never been known to be a winning player. This is the first season he's known to be truly efficient. So the next leap is going to be, you know, can this team as assembled actually be competitive with other big boys in the East? And and let's not forget, without Chris Paul, who knows what this Phoenix situation looks like? Like, we, we... Like last week, we were talking about the over-unders. This is what Chris Paul does to teams. There is no track record that Nikola Vucevic on a team creates a winning environment. I'm not saying he's not a winning player, but he's not good enough to somehow change the entire nucleus calculus of the uh, you know direction of the team. And I think that's going to be the big difference. But all right, let's move on to the other big player that the Magic traded. Probably the second big, biggest player, maybe Oladipo, but let's talk Aaron Gordon. Because I think this is the one that actually has the biggest title implications. Everyone going into the trade deadline said Kyle Lowry was probably the one guy who could 
genuinely swing title odds depending on if you went to Philadelphia, you went to Miami, you know, we went to the Lakers who were somehow rumored to be in this. I don't think Aaron Gordon has done that, but in terms of swinging title odds of everyone who has traded, he's a clear number one. So what'd you think about the fit with Denver kind of replacing some of those Millsap minutes, sort of doing a you know facsimile of what we saw from Jeremy Grant last year that worked so well? This is the best fit possible, I think, for Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon got weirdly overrated in the last couple of weeks. Yes. Um, based yes. on what I was seeing in terms of um, what people think he should be going for. But this is a dream fit for me. Because, look, Denver needed more athleticism on the perimeter. They needed someone to, to take, like you said, take some of those Millsap minutes out. And someone who can also provide some extra spot-up shooting, which... They weren't really getting as much now from, you know, Gary Harris has not been great and Barden has also been a little bit disappointing. And so now you have Aaron Gordon, who's having a great season shooting from from three spot up threes. Uh, he's going to give you more athleticism offensively and defensively and just more lineup flexibility for a team that really needed it after they lost Jeremy Grant. So I, I thought this was the best kind of addition and an addition that really makes you take Denver seriously. You know, like a year ago, two years ago, it's always like, okay, Denver's a great story, but can they really get past the Lakers and the, mm-hmm. the Clippers? They got past the Clippers, but um, I think now this puts them in, into a spot where I think their top eight guys uh, looks like a championship team. Now, yes. whether they can actually beat the Lakers is another story, but on paper, I think they've got the right pieces. Yeah, I mean, Denver's problem is always that matching up Jokic versus LeBron or Jokic versus Kawhi. Uh, You may argue that in both cases, the Clippers and Lakers have the better player. And then if you go to the second player, it's obviously a clear win for Anthony Davis over Jamal Murray, right? So I think, can the Nuggets win the title? I would say yes, because of how well Jokic is playing defensively. Obviously what he's doing on offense needs no explaining. It's otherworldly, the stats, I mean, you can go look them up, advanced stats, box score stats, anything that you look at, the eye test. I mean, it's all 10 out of 10, right? So he's been amazing. Murray's starting to pick it up. I think where they really missed uh, Jeremy Grant is being able to guard bigger wings. That's why they were rumored for P.J. Tucker. And I honestly think maybe they gave up something in R.J. Hampton, and he was a pretty high, highly recruited guy, but who cares? Like, R.J. Hampton, by the time he's good, is going to be three, four years from now. It's not going to matter. Um, I think the nucleus is ready to win now. They just made the conference finals. Too often teams wait, and this is example one through ten of what Boston did, where they just <laughs> waited when they were ready, right? They had the guys to make the run. They had made the conference finals, you know, with Tatum as a rookie, Jalen Brown as second, all this stuff, and they didn't actually go for it. And I think Denver's like, I'm not going to sit back and watch one of the best offensive seasons ever from a big man in Jokic go to waste if I feel like we can add one more guy. And I think Gordon was not a heavy price to pay. Like you said, he's become incredibly overrated in the last in the last three weeks to becoming something he's just not, right? Um, but what they need him to do is not score 25 a game. It's to defend. It's to cut off-ball activity with Jokic running the high point pick and roll. I love it. I think it's going to be a great fit. He's a pretty low usage player. He's shooting 38% from three this year. All he's got to do is make wide open threes and then run the floor on in transition and, and guard the opposing team's best perimeter player. And I think he's well-equipped to do all three of those things. He, he's a perfect example of a guy that um, 
in a low usage situation is going to look a lot better because yeah. I, he's been asked to do too much on some of these Orlando teams and it's not really his role. He's not capable of it. Yeah. And I think Denver, you know, they make this move They're Maybe they're sensing a little blood in the water with LA uh, yeah. the Lakers, the Clippers, Lake, you know, they came out, you know, you told me today about LeBron. They're saying out oh, four to six weeks. Right. And so that's all of a sudden creeping all the way through the end of the season. Maybe it's going to impact the postseason. Anthony Davis also, it's a little murky in what his situation is. And look, this is there is a scenario in which the Lakers and Nuggets meet in the first round. And so I think Denver realizes that they needed to make be a little bit aggressive. And RJ Hampton, no one's crying over RJ Hampton. So this was the right move. I love what they just did. And I'm actually really excited to see what they can do for the rest of the season. Yeah, and one other piece on on Gordon, I think there's always residual baggage with the team that drafted you, right? It's, you know, you want to talk about sunk cost fallacy and all that kind of stuff, but the fact that he went for, the fact that he got this four-year $80 million deal, there's so much tense and there's so much nervous energy almost when you watch your guy not meet the standards that you'd set for him, which any number four pick, you're thinking all-star, right? The data shows you that, that's a much lower probability, but that's what you're thinking. And so now that he's free of some of those expectations, I think it's going to actually help our perception of him too. Um, he makes 20 million a year. Yes. But the nuggets didn't pay him that. So it's not going to be on our conscious and conscious in the same way. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind as, as you see him making a small play here, or there, the, the first thing that the media is going to say is, Oh my God, we knew he could do this in Orlando. It's like, no, he probably was doing something similar in Orlando, but what they needed of him is not what he was capable of. Exactly. And he wasn't playing next to Jokic and Murray. So that was the difference. Do you think any team lost out on maybe not getting Aaron Gordon? Do you think there was another fit out there that would have really changed the landscape of things? Uh, a lot of people said Portland. Um, you just traded two firsts for Robert Covington. You signed Derek Jones with your full mid-level exception. If you, on top of that, then need a third player of a similar mold in Aaron Gordon, then something's wrong, right? And so, I like, I actually liked what Portland did, which is to go get Norm Powell, like, a lot better. I think he's a cleaner fit. Um, you know, Boston maybe, but Boston's problems are bigger than Aaron Gordon would have been able to solve. And yep. the, the what they gave up to get Fournier, which was essentially nothing – was a way better trade for them, in my opinion, than using Marcus Smart or any of their young guys to get Gordon. So not really. Um, who else was in the mix? I think those were kind of the main teams. Yeah, and I mean, Boston was the one that was heavily tied to them in, in Portland. But but yeah, I think Denver Boston, literally Boston's ended up being tied the best. to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one interesting thing, I think um, Dallas at one point was in the mix, right? Because they have the Tim Hardaway expiring. Uh, yeah. And that was really interesting because I do think Dallas maybe needs another athlete on the floor, but I actually think what they did, which was get JJ Redick for essentially free. I kind of like that better if he can revitalize his shooting because they really miss Seth Curry and he essentially would provide that role, assuming he finds his shot. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So I, we got to cover the elephant in the room. We did a whole episode on the James Harden trade, right? <laughs> and I was talking myself into how it was maybe not that bad. And I don't know, you could argue Oladipo, you see, is a reclamation project, plus all those picks. 
it has gone from bad to worse. Not only is Harden playing like another an MVP candidate yet again, the <laughs> the Rockets just turned James Harden into Karis LeVert into Victor Oladipo into Avery Bradley and. I'm and beside Kelly Olenek. myself. Don't forget Kelly Olynyk. And Kelly Olynyk. I'm truly, truly beside myself. I think that it's one of the most egregious things that's happened in recent NBA history. I absolutely think Tillman Fertitta needs to be investigated for, like, his fucking get someone get him a TurboTax account or something and see how much <laughs> his money this guy has because it's not a lot. Obviously, I feel personally for my boy John Wall, but at the same time, like. You had James Harden and Russell Westbrook, and now you're 11 and 32, and have basically no nowhere to go but up. So, what were your what were your thoughts when you saw that come through right at the end? It looked like they weren't going to move him, and it came in just after 3 p.m. Eastern. Laughter, just laughter, because I saw it come in. The first thing you see is Depot to Miami, and yeah. then you read you're the details, hero, and you're, you're like, Hero Robinson, what did they have to part with? <laughs> and it's Avery Bradley and Kelly Oletic, who I just forgot were even on the team. Um, and not to and mention, I, not to mention, they couldn't even get a pick. They got a swap yeah. for not for 21, for 22. And you know what that swap is? It's only so that they can move up their likely bad Brooklyn pick, which they wouldn't swap for, to like the slightly better, let's assume, Miami pick. So they're going to go from like 29 to like 25. Yeah. This, that's what they did. And and look, I get the idea of you don't want to pay Depot. Let's get something for him. But he holds value. And so I don't know how they were negotiating this, whether the fact that it was done kind of at the buzzer played a role where maybe they were strong arming uh, other teams with better, you know, hoping out for a better offer and then finally had to settle. Uh, And look, this is, I didn't even realize the Harden, I I forgot, right, that Harden was indirectly tied to all this because of Karis LeVert and Oladipo. So when Mm -hmm. you put it that way, that Harden ends up turning it to Avery Bradley and Kelly Olenek, I all I can say is I feel terrible for Houston Rockets fans. And you can't do the whole like, oh, well, they should have just kept hard or traded Harden for more because that's done, right? It's sunk cost, et cetera. You can't relitigate it. I get that. But you kind of can because it just happened like two <laughs> months ago. It was the same team of, of front office people, the same ownership. It wasn't like this was three years ago where it was like, oh, man, if we had only not done that, then we wouldn't have done this, um, which I'll give you a good example that's like people giving Oklahoma City Thunder shit for going into the luxury tax with that like Steven Adams, Paul George team, Russell Westbrook, and not having done it for the Harden team like four years before. Like, okay, that that's not the same thing. This yeah. was two months ago. And so I do think you can link the trades. And as much as we joke, if they had Ben Simmons on the table, under contract, max deal, he's a bonafide star. Whatever you think of him, he's clearly an all-star level player at best at worst i should say and you straight up chose to just unload salary and it it gives me no other reason but to think that this financial trouble is like actually serious um to the point that he really needs to think about even spending above the salary floor much less the luxury tax it it must be really serious because i don't know i I get teams make bad decisions because of financial reasons all the time. Look, the Maloose were strapped for cash early in, in the, not early, but you know, about a decade ago. And, and that's why the Kings drafted Jimmer simply as a play to get more tickets or sell more tickets and get more fans yeah. in, in the stadium. 
But even then, it was comical how this played out because let me tell you what this reminds me of. This is an exa- example that's coming out of left field a little bit. When I was in Boy Scouts back, you know, when I was a kid, yeah, we used to play this game called Bigger is Better every now and then. Um, and <laughs> I, or once uh, a year. Was that... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> listen, listen. Don't is let your mind therapy? go there. No, is we used to... therapy? <laughs> we used to go... J- just... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, we used to that, go. That too. We 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 go to someone's house, right? And we'd start, I think, with like a coin, and then we'd we'd ask them, you know, can you trade this? We'd go to a random house and ask them if we can trade this coin for something bigger or better. And so, and they can mm. give it anything they want, right? And then you keep doing that, and you you split up into groups, and every group does that, and go to as many houses, and then we all regroup, and then see who came up with the biggest or best thing. Yeah. And like I remember one year someone had a washing machine somehow, like an old washing machine that they brought back, right? So it's just a, a stupid game, but I thought of it because this it felt like the Rockets were doing the opposite of that. Where yeah, it's like every time washing machine. they go to a new team and they get smaller, right? Like, all right, let's let's trade Harden, we get Levert. Now let's take Levert to another team, get Oladipo, and now take Oladipo. Like, how much worse can you make Harden? You've now got it down to Avery Bradley, Kelly Olenek. Like, are there levels where you can go even worse than that? I don't know. It would be pretty hard. To help. <laughs> they started with like the brand new Samsung with all the bells and whistles. The washing machine did everything. It had multiple versions of hot, and and then they ended up with the coin that you started with. And <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, it's like in reverse. It is really an epic institutional failure to do what they've done. And I actually liked a couple of the smaller deals. Like I love the Christian Wood signing, which has panned out. I love the Kevin Porter Jr. trade, but clearly this is the new model, right? Like bargain basement shopping. Um, They traded Covington for picks. They obviously traded Russ, but really for the only guy that they could bring back, which was Wall. So there's like, okay, there's no savings there. How do we find other savings? Let's get rid of Harden. Let's get rid of Tucker. And I, I honestly think they would have gotten rid of Eric Gordon if he hadn't gotten hurt because that scared some teams away and he makes it a good amount of money. And so, I don't know, man. Like, it's one of those things that it, you Houston is a big enough market where you would never even think that these things come up. Like, you've never – New York, the Knicks have been incompetent, right? But it's not because they haven't been willing to spend, for example. Yep. You know, same with the Clippers. They've taken some swings and misses. The old Donald Sterling Clippers, yes, they were cheap, but that was mostly because of him. The Steve Ballmer ones have not been. So when you when you have a team in the in, in a small market, um, you know, I just you accumulate assets and you do what the Thunder are trying to do. But when you don't have that disadvantage, you go for it more often than not. And this is re- weird to see. Yeah, it's it's just I I just feel bad, especially for your boy John Wall. Like think about how. How excited he was to now come back, uh, rejuvenated, playing for a new team, a team that looked like it was trying to compete. Like, no one knew what was going to happen to the Harden, but at the very least, they started the season with Harden, Christian Wood, DeMarcus Cousins, and look where they're at now. Yeah, Eric Gordon, DJ Tucker. Yeah. By the way, um, speaking of uh, the Thunder, after the George Hill trade, they are now up to 34 picks in the next seven years. So they have 17 firsts and 17 seconds. Um, Have you, and I was trying to think of this today, so maybe you might be able to come up with it, but you know, we've seen a bunch of trades, especially recently with, uh, you know, players, stars for picks. It almost started with that Brooklyn Boston trade. 
where teams were just like, fuck it, I don't care about these picks. Like, you can have them. Have we ever seen those picks be cashed in for a star? Like, Boston was able to cash them in for stars through the draft. Like, they just kept the pick and took the player, right? But have we ever actually seen these picks being packaged to to go get someone? Because I'm really curious with what New Orleans, Houston, and uh, the Thunder are going to do with all these picks. They're not going to take all these players. More likely or not, they're going to be bad. Um, I've never seen this actually play out to regaining contender status. Yeah, I I had the exact same thought. Like it's it's a funny story. It's great. Oh, look at this you know treasure chest of assets. But in real in reality, is thirty four picks versus twenty four picks really going to move the needle that much for them? No, I don't think so because they're not. It's not like you can just take thirty four means you can get four superstars now instead of three, right? Because you can turn each of those four or five picks into a player. So I don't know what they're doing. I don't necessarily agree with the strategy. We haven't seen it before, so we, who's to say whether it's going to work or not? But to your point, I've never seen a team accumulate draft picks and then use it to turn around a superstar. Like, yeah. it just has never happened. Like, the Thunder, the the way, I guess, like you said, this is a newer phenomenon, and some of those picks are not intended to be valuable till later years. But where this would work would be, well, so Boston had the first opportunity, right? Because they could have turned the Memphis pick, Sacramento pick, some of their young guys into an Anthony Davis or Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, and they chose to pass every time, right? But the ones that I'm more curious about are where it's like, okay, the Thunder are going to have, let's say the Thunder own all the Clippers picks, right? And so let's say the Clippers, three years from now, Kawhi and PG are either old or not that good. Maybe they get hurt one year, right? Like maybe they're just bad and it's an accidental tank year. Um, are the Thunder going to say, hey, next unhappy superstar, Carl Anthony Towns, whoever, whoever, we're going to go for it? I think the way that they approach it is going to be a lot different than the way New Orleans might approach it or Houston because no star will stay in Oklahoma City after the couple of years left on their deal. So that's what's going to be interesting because ultimately it'll be like, well, we can't do anything with these picks other than just have more bites at the apple of someone who eventually could be the next LeBron or KD or whatever. Yeah, that's the thing. More bites at the apple, which in that sense, it, it makes sense. Give yourself as many first round picks as you can. Hopefully one of these guys will pan out. But in reality too, like, look, if they have four, five picks in a year, they're not going to have five roster spots open. Are right. they? Like, it, like the way you team build is also going to be completely shaped by that. And all these guys can't get minutes. So you don't even know what you're going to have. Like we see this problem quite often with teams where even if you have four or five young guys, you know, the Pelicans had the situation, uh, the Hawks kind of in, in some ways you can't give them all minutes. And so you're going to have to ship some of those guys out anyway. So yeah. at a certain, there's a certain number of picks where I think it just, it doesn't get manageable. Like how do you have a proper team building strategy when you have this many picks? So I don't yeah. know what they're going to do. And like you said, you can't just go and buy superstars cause it's not a big market. You can't assume they're going to stay. So yeah, you can do short-term rentals, but, at what point are you going to be ready to start making those kinds of transactions? And that's why you at least need one guy. In New Orleans, you have Zion. In Oklahoma City, you have SGA, who had a very good argument to make the Western All-Star team this year, like a real one. I know you were hating on him, saying nobody was paying attention to SGA, but that dude's balling, and he's still young, but he's just not, you know, he's not going to attract anybody. He's a yep. good player that everybody's going to call a good player, like they called Mike Conley, like they called Drew Holiday, and that's just going to be that, I think. 
Um, let me ask you this. Did you think, did you, were you surprised, let's say, of anybody who was not moved today that you really expected to be? I mean, Kyle Lowry was the biggest just the obvious choice, let down. Yeah. That's the obvious choice. Um, as a Kings fan, I have to say, was kind of disappointed in the Kings not making many moves. Uh, Barnes didn't get moved. There's talks, but they were signaling that, right? They were signaling that, but I mean, it's a lot of it's posturing, right? Oh, we yeah. want to keep him for a playoff push means maybe we can get a higher return. Uh, right. That didn't happen. Um, and then you know what's interesting? The Lakers, Clippers made a move for Rondo, but the Lakers didn't really do anything. Um, did the Sixers get anyone? Do you think the Lakers are gonna? Yeah, Sixers got George Hill, which was oh, yeah, George Hill. But like none of the like the the one big thing that stood out to me is none of the contenders made any. Um, yeah, outside of Denver, made any big moves? Well, if you think about it, like obviously Brooklyn made their move already, um, yep. and then of course Milwaukee got PJ Tucker, Tucker last yep, week. That was just a week so, ago. That was kind of the fringe stuff. The other thing is the buyout market is going to be as flush as I can remember. Like they're guys who are good and like legitimately can play right now. This isn't like some random scrub who's on the market. Like these are good dudes. Like it could be Andre Drummond. It's going to be uh, LaMarcus Aldridge was just announced. He may not announce. It was rumored. He may go to Miami. You have, um, you know, who knows what's going to happen with DeMar DeRozan. Like I doubt they would do that to him or with him because he's good enough, but you just never know. Like there was, there was talk today about John Wall being potentially bought out. And like, I think it's one of those things where, I don't know if it's pandemic related, if it's cash flow related, but they're just like, look, I know I'm going to have to pay this guy anyway. If I can pay him 10% less and I'm going to suck no matter what, why wouldn't I just do that? No. And I think that's leading to a bunch of guys like who are good players now being available. So like where Andre Drummond could go might swing the title as much as what we just said the trade deadline did with Aaron Gordon. So that's, I think, another piece that's that's really interesting. And I think that's the strategy some teams are taking. They're going to play the buyout market knowing that there's a lot of good talent there instead of you know swinging on one of these trades. So, um, I mean, the Lakers... Yeah, like why are you going to trade for Drummond's $27 million or, yeah. or, or Aldridge's $24 million when you're like, I can just sign them in like a week? Assuming you'd win out the competition, but, you know, there's a good amount of good amount of like heads up that agents provide on, you know, who's, who wants to go where. Yeah. So, I mean, did you, well, let me ask you this though, uh, before we go into some of the other more minor deals, did any team make some moves today that really swung your perception of the direction that they were heading in? And what I mean by that is a team you didn't expect to contend was making moves to contend or a team kind of offloading pieces that you thought didn't really need to be doing that. Um, I would say that I thought, um, let me think about that. I'm trying to think. Not really, I guess. Like who really changed the direction? Like we knew, I guess Chicago, you would argue. Cause I thought the yep. Daniel Tice move was, we just, we didn't talk about it, but that was also actually like a pretty important move, like a clear upgrade over Mo Wagner. Um, and so I think that was one that really caught my eye. Like Chicago's going for it. Um, what it is remains to be seen, but they were probably the only one that I think acted in a direction that was not necessarily indicative of their record. Let's say I was surprised Boston parted with with Tice because I mean, maybe, maybe they're playing the bio market too. But that was a move to me that they already have some depth at yeah. big issues, and now what Robert Williams? You're trusting him to play you know even bigger minutes? I don't know yeah, if that's going to so solve their issue. This comes back to the financial issue, Tice. 
after they acquired Fournier because they brought him into a trade exception, so they didn't actually send any salary out. They were in the luxury tax. Um, Got it. Yep. And Tristan Thompson has like no value right now um, <laughs> because apparently Chris Vernon was mentioning this on his pod podcast this week. Apparently, he's just been like going out constantly and just like partying in all these cities and. The team's like, what the fuck? But he keeps missing games because contract tracing, but he's not actually testing positive. So he'll just be in and out of the lineup and they're just sick of him, but he's owed 10 million next year and he looks like a corpse. So <laughs> they couldn't move him and they're like, okay, Tice is the only guy that has value. Maybe Mo Wagner can play a role. And Mo Wagner's not bad. I just, I don't know yeah. that I would count on him in a playoff he's, series. Like yeah, he's at Miami game six, but you know. I mean, Fournier was nice for Boston. I, I just think they need to be... They need to be a lot more aggressive. Like, what are they doing? Uh, and I don't know what moves they have to make, and I don't know how act- how active Danny Ainge really is in all these conversations and whether they're barely missing out or not. But I, I still don't understand what their long-term plan is. because The problem with Boston is they have this collection of picks that are now players, and none of those players are very <laughs> good. And then, which is the the ugly truth about picks, is that they end up being not good players. They're a lot more attractive as picks because of the optionality. And then they have, you know, two untouchables in Brown and, and Tatum. But then their third max guy, he's kind of an untradeable contract in a way yep. in Kemba Walker because of his knee condition. So other than Marcus Smart, who as soon as you ship him out, you're going to have a hole at whatever it is he does. You're kind of stuck. Um. And it, you know, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but there's a lot of rumors swirling about Brad Stevens to Indiana to mm-hmm. coach the Indiana University. How he's from there, he kind of likes college better, blah blah blah. You know, loved his time at Butler, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. Things are not looking. I mean, this is a team that was so young and promising for so long, and before these guys even hit 25, the window might be over. With this version, it's a really weird feeling. I think. It is. And I mean, they've been in the Eastern Eastern Conference Finals for what, four years in a row now? Like, you don't it was think like of three them. Three out of four years. Yeah. Three out of four years. You don't think of them as, as this perennial contender. I mean, you know they're a contender, but you don't take them seriously. And it's. Yeah. And that's why the, all three of those have been losses, right? Because they're yeah. a notch below the top team, um, whoever that may be at the time, whether it's the LeBron Cavs or the Heat last year was a series they probably were favored in going into that. Um, but, you know, I. I agree, though. I I don't know what they could have done. I I guess, I guess they're they're kind of thinking this can't be their year. Like they're not going to win the title. Yeah. Um, the team I did think left something on the table. Um, I thought the uh, the Clippers would have done a little bit more. I think they invested too heavily in like the Rondo bubble performance. <laughs> I think it's an upgrade over Lou Williams, just given what they needed from a defense standpoint and playmaking standpoint. But where I feel like they lacked is like Rondo is not good. He played well because he was playing next to LeBron and AD. Like he's not, I don't know. And I think the, I think with Rondo, when we have seen him be successful in these like playoff Rondo and occasionally with the last 10 years, he's had flashes. It's when he's in a very defined role defined culture. Uh, mm-hmm. I worry about his personality with that Clippers locker room, which is already not a team that's known to be fond of each other. Yeah. And Rondo's another brash personality that you're bringing in. And we already heard all the talk about whose team is it. And 
Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think it's kind of a combustible situation. And yes, he does tick off the playmaking box, uh, which we have been saying for the last two years, the Clippers yeah. sorely lack, but I don't right, like, I think we all but know that what we not, saw in LA is not, not in. Yeah. He's not initiating offense. Yeah. Like he did back in his Boston days. Exactly. Even last yeah. year, he was a secondary playmaker off LeBron. Kawhi is indicating he doesn't want to be the primary playmaker the way LeBron played that role. And so you're still going to be stuck with the situation of like, okay, who's getting us into our offense? Um, that's why George Hill made a lot of sense because he can actually do that credibly. Maybe Rondo can. I just don't have a lot of faith. I don't know. Like like I told you a couple of weeks ago, like we always just throw the Clippers in with the Lakers. It's like, okay, how, you know, like in relation to the Jazz, can you beat these two teams? Or the Nuggets, can you beat these two teams? I don't know that the Clippers deserve to be there any more than these other teams do. So I think that's my challenge. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a team that's just treading water. I thought if they were somehow able to get Kyle Lowry, who that is, I mean, obviously Kyle Lowry makes any team immediately way better, but that's the kind of leadership and playmaking and uh, kind of when things kind of die down, he can save them player they needed. And, I know there are not a lot of guys out there, but I'm surprised they didn't take bigger swings uh, besides Rondo because this doesn't move the needle that much, in my opinion. Their cap sheet is very problematic in that um, the Luke Kennard extension doesn't actually <laughs> kick in till next year, which is amazing to think they have him for four more years after this one. So because of that, he has a small number, like $5 million, right? And then you have Marcus Morris, who's year one of an extension, so also kind of small. Plus, you sort of need Marcus Morris. So your two big trade ships from a salary standpoint are just Lou Williams at $8 million and then Pat Beverly at thirteen, And he's not attractive because he's on thirteen for a couple more years. And so that's the big problem where it's like, all right, well, we don't actually have a way to get up to a number while, that, while what we're sending out is attractive to another team. Because they also don't have any draft capital since it's yeah. all <laughs> now in the pocket of Sam Presti. That's true. Yeah. Um, let's see. They went I for mean, broke looking... with this team, right? So, huh? They went for broke with this team, and they kind of just have to deal with how it looks now. Like that's the that's the that's the rub with making one of those all in trades. Um, yeah. And the Luke Kennard was their last kind of big move that they made, and that was uh, I don't know what they saw in him, but. They, uh, they honestly had to just make that move because it was the only thing they could do. They had to just bet on his health and him being better <laughs> than he showed in Detroit. I, I know, I know but it was just a, it was a very funny bet to make. Um, <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, how about Norman Powell for for Gary Trent and and Rodney Hood? So that's one we didn't we didn't talk about that much. Powell going out from the Raptors, who were clearly, you know, blowing it all up, and Portland giving up on a younger Gary Trent who has to get paid. Um, this offseason but for Norman Powell who is a more established better player but also needs to be paid at this offseason so do you think that really helps them I think I think Norman Powell is a better player than either Trent or Hood so in terms of if you're thinking about who's my five-man lineup in crunch time it's an upgrade right because he can play a little bit easier next to dame and cj versus trent is like a three small guard lineup that can't really guard as well so i like it from that angle i wonder on the depth standpoint like you you lose a bench score and then to your point is this a rental or can they actually keep him because the way he's been playing and i actually think unfortunately his numbers are going to take a hit 
But the way he's been playing, he could be in line for like a $15 million a year payday, maybe. Um, or at least a mid-level, which is going to be a little bit over 10. So that'll be the question because you already have CJ and Dame on maxes. You have um, Nurkic on a decent-sized contract. You have Covington, um, Derek Jones. So I, if it's a rental, I think it's a bad call because Trent was was a solid bench guy. If it's something more and they can keep him, I like it just because it raises their top-end talent a little bit more. What do you think? Because he's been on a tear recently. Yeah, and it does rate, and and I think he fits a little bit more cleanly with the lineups they want to play because he's not like in terms of height much bigger, uh, but he's much longer uh, in terms of wingspan and defensively, they can play him and McCollum and Lillard a lot more than they could play those guys with Gary Trent Jr. So mm-hmm. I think just because of that, it's it's a big upgrade, but it it's interesting because Portland. Uh, they're just another one of those teams that, I mean, I know they're in a dogfight right now in Miami, but yes, what, I'm watching these are all, too. these are all still fringe moves. Is this team ever going to take another leap or is it just perpetually destined for this four through eight seed in the West? Cause the way Dame's been playing, you know, how many more seasons are you going to get of this MVP level play? And so part of me is wondering like, is there an opportunity for them to do something bigger? Uh, I don't know if, they're, if that's what they're thinking as well or if they're happy just kind of treading up this type of team. Well, I also do think there's something to be said about like, okay, Dame is as good of a franchise guy as we're going to get. Someone who wants to stay in Portland, someone who's capable of playing at this top end level, like, et cetera. Like, there's a lot to like about him, right? So given that, there's something about like, look, Ultimately, we just have to maximize whatever it is that this era can give us. It doesn't necessarily need to be a title. It just needs to be um, the best version of the Dame Lillard Blazers. And look, Dame's not Steph. They don't have a Draymond. Like They can't replicate the Warriors necessarily, but they're also not going to trade him. So what what does that mean, right? It means that they're going to want him to be in the best team that he can be. And so... From that standpoint, the move I always thought they were going to make was to trade CJ just because it never seemed yep. to work with that defensive backcourt. Mm-hmm. And they haven't done so. And CJ is great, but I felt that was one way to balance the roster a little. But, you know, being four to eight, kind of having a ton of awesome, like, house of highlights, game winners, and all those kinds of things is sort of the ceiling for this Blazers. And maybe they're comfortable with that. Maybe that's enough. You know, one guy we didn't talk about that I didn't hear much about is Pascal Siakam. Yeah, and I don't know if Toronto was actively trying to move him, but clearly a lot came out recently about his uh, issues with Nick Nurse, and they got into kind of a scuffle, and he's clearly not happy. I don't think it's worked out that well ever since he signed that um, that extension or the contract. Yeah, and and he's a guy that I think a lot of teams could take a chance on though, because as long like right now the role he's playing on the Raptors, where he's asked to do too much offensively, is a tough one. But if he goes yes. back to that role where he's not the initial like or primary scorer, like with how he played with Kawhi, right. like I want the Kings to like take a look at him, or you know I think a lot of other teams could benefit from him. So that's a great Blazers team, honestly. Blazers. That, that's exactly. I thought of him because of the Blazers. Like that's another guy who you move a guy like CJ, maybe. Um, not that Toronto would do that, but you try to make a move for a guy like Siakam, and that could fundamentally maybe change your trajectory. Yeah. But these moves for Powell and swapping out Gary Trent, like uh, it's all right, Dame, you're going to lose in five instead of four now or five. Yeah. Instead of six. six. Yeah, I know. Cause even now with all of this, they're what they're sixth right now in the West. Yeah. Um, 
that means they got currently a first round bout with the Lakers as of now, <laughs> and maybe that switches to the Clippers or whatever, given LeBron's injury, but that they're not going to win that series. So you're still looking at like a first round and out type thing. Uh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Did you think, um, which team did you, 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 we talked about which team, the one team I thought was going to do something, but then LaMelo got hurt with Charlotte. I thought Charlotte was going to make a move because they started to play really well. Um, and I thought the Knicks were going to make a move, right? Like the Knicks are going to win again tonight versus the Wizards. They actually had a huge comeback in the fourth, my God. Um, and I, you know, I think it's one of those things where it's like, are we ready? Or are we not? And it was actually quite prudent. Maybe the old Knicks would have done something dumb, like trade for Oladipo. I, I was going to say, I actually, I, I think it's smart that they didn't overreact and do anything rash. Um, I almost fell for, I saw some tweet, you know, like one of those fake. Oh, uh, Woj, fake Woj. I yeah. saw the fake Woj tweet about Lonzo and I was about to like go and obviously deliver that news to everyone before I realized it was fake. <laughs> that would have actually um, been a good move though, right? If that trade that it was yeah, listed. That, that was actually kind of interesting. I was like, this is kind of nice for the Knicks. Yeah, but- someone call the Knicks and call the Pelicans and see if uh, we can actually make this happen. Um, but yeah, but I think you're right. Like, I don't think they they needed to do anything. So sometimes it's smart to just kind of stand pat if you don't have anything great. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, man. I guess this this was a fun one, but it was also a little muted. Uh, the biggest trade, as we talked about, happened in January, and even the second biggest trade, like the the trade of the day, happened very early with yeah. Vucevic, and so it kind of sputtered out a bit. We got the Oladipo one at the end, and uh, that left us so blue ball. Let's say. talk a little bit about Lowry um, because that was the the second biggest story of the day. Just the fact that he didn't get moved. Mm-hmm. Now, all signs all week were pointing to him 100%, no doubt about it. He was vocal about the fact that he may not be here. Um, even as he left the, the floor last night, he had an amazing game. That uh, Raptors team beat the Nuggets, uh, blew out the Nuggets, and he threw up the peace signs as he was walking away from the camera. And it so that was one that if you – put a gun to my head of what would happen today, like in terms of any trade or any transaction, it would have been Lowry getting shipped. Clearly they were wanted more. They didn't get yeah. more and, and, and Toronto decided to hold on to him. So what were your thoughts on that? Do you think um, they should have just still gotten rid of him, or, you know, it may, it's more prudent to wait, or do you think one of these teams, it's probably a good thing that none of these teams splurged for Kyle Lowry. Cause some of the, the offers I was seeing, I was like, I don't know if he's worth, the Raptors want Maxi and Tybal and all this return. It may yeah. not be I think the big problem was was twofold. One, he's 35, right? So you're talking about giving up Maxi. You're talking about giving up even like Taylor Horton Tucker or Hero. It's a big age gap for someone who's good, but not necessarily like definitively going to take you into the next year. Two, a big portion of, of the trade was apparently his desire to get an extension tacked on. Uh, something in the neighborhood of like two years, 30 million or two years, 40 million, something like that. So now you're talking about, okay, now we're paying 37 year old Kyle Lowry, potentially 20, 25 million a year or whatever it was. And then three, Toronto was always going to do right by him, so to speak. So I think you had a big problem where you were always going to have a limited number of suitors. Like they couldn't necessarily open the bidding to everybody that needed, that could be an option. Like they couldn't, call uh let's say um 
I don't know, give me a team that's in the mix, but not necessarily attractive, right? Like they couldn't call um, Indiana and say, hey, do you want Kyle Lowry or someone like that, right? So because of that, it just created like too tight of a market to the point that think about what all three of those teams did. They got, the Sixers got George Hill essentially for free. The, the, the Heat got Oladipo for free, as we talked about. And the Lakers are like, look, we could have added Kyle Lowry and maybe it didn't cost us much, but how much better is he than Dennis Schroeder? Plus, we got to give up a young guy that we like. Plus, our team yeah. isn't really right anyway because Davis and LeBron aren't here. So, And the Clippers got talk- Rondo. So. And the Clippers got Rondo, yeah. And if you talk about that as like the the source, then it's kind of, you know, the Blazers just won. But if you count <laughs> that as the source, then, you know, there's not necessarily like a lot of options for them. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that was the only one. Um, it would have made things more exciting in terms of you see Lowry go to the Sixers. All of a sudden, that Sixers-Nets matchup looks even juicier than yeah. it already is. Or Sixers-Bucks. Or you see Lowry go to one of the LA teams and that flips the script on the Clippers' chances or maybe the way we think about the Lakers and you know there's less worry about uh, the AD and LeBron injuries. But it didn't happen, so that was kind of disappointing. But I think other than that, like you said, this trade deadline was not the quietest one we've had, but not the loudest one either. Um, but I don't know, man. It'll be interesting. This is a... I think the playoffs, once again, are going to be interesting this year. Um, yeah, and the, and the big thing with the playoffs is going to be home court with fans, right? Like, that's just going to be the thing I think that's most important to watch. Do teams care about jockeying for position? While they might, they have to check the CDC website almost as much as we do because they need to see what the vaccine percentages are at <laughs> to see what, like, cities are going to do in terms of allowing capacity. I mean, these guys, if they're going to take the vaccine, they better take it soon because if the second dose knocks you out, like a lot of people have been reporting, you can't be having that happen in the playoffs, right? So if they're going to do it, they got to decide now and get it over with before you're doing it in the final stretch. Yep. Um, but, but yeah, I think that's it. That's it, man. That's the that's the deadline. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, off air, we'll talk about the Wizards acquisition of Chandler Hutchinson <laughs> and uh Daniel Gafford, I believe. And the Kings, the Kings, the Kings also got Terrence Davis and Dwan Wright and Mo Harkless. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can't wait to watch Kings games and saying, how could you be so heartless? But this is what you've been waiting for. It's your favorite chant with your favorite team. Exactly. All right. That's a wrap. We are now our official Twitter handle, Instagram handle, everything is all updated. We streamlined the whole process. Thick, ampersand, thin hoops. Um, it's all there for you. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com. Um, and that's all we have. We'll talk to you next week.